Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a, a guest from the industry sharing their story on how they got started in cybersecurity, along with their tips and tricks on starting a career. Uh, and today, I'm very happy and excited to have my friend Steve Amador joining today. Uh, Steve and I first met last year when he was, him and some of his friends uh, from a study group preparing for the OSCP joined us to, to discuss you know, their, their tips and tricks on preparing for the OSCP. And we got to meet for the first time during DEF CON this year. So uh, got to see each other this past week at Wild West Hacking Fest. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you. And it's it great seeing you last week. So it's been been pretty good. Got to see you twice this year. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great seeing you too. So yeah, it's pretty cool that uh, you and the TCM security team got to to go as a as a team to Wild West Hacking Fest. Yeah, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of stuff uh, both in and outside of the conference, right? So uh, go and show our support for our favorites, uh, Joe, yourself, and then uh, outside, you know, we did a lot of cool stuff: bear country, sightseeing. Um, you know, we went to the cemetery, and it's all the way up there, it's a really high elevation. So it's uh, hard to catch your breath if you're not used to it. Oh, I bet so. Because I remember I used to like I used to like to go skiing, and we used to go on ski vacations. And sometimes it can be kind of tough to a little hard to breathe in those altitudes. Oh yeah, it's like forty five hundred over sea level, and I'm used to just under six hundred. So it was a, a big change for me. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. That it, it, cool that you're part of TCM Security. I think is really great to have a uh, a boss that takes you to that you know sees the value in those types of events and, and uses them kind of as a group team building type of, uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since I joined TCM, it's been great. I've been there just over six months. Uh, one of the days in, uh, in the conference, I think it was like the first or second day, uh, it was exactly six months. So that was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. So that's awesome that you're celebrating six months. So when you, uh, when you got the job there, were you really surprised? Was this something somewhere you thought you'd work? No, I never thought about that as a possibility, really. Um, yeah, I, I took the PNPT exam late last year, and it was one of those things that was preparing me for the next step in my career, which you know, I wanted to do something with offensive security, you know, pen testing, red teaming, something around that. And I knew that where I was wasn't the place to be. And so when I started to seek those opportunities, TCM was one of the first, I would say five, right, that popped up during that time. And you know, here we are six months later. Very cool. So why don't you share a, a little bit about yourself, share your background and kind of how you got started? Yeah. So, wow. Uh, taking me back there uh, down memory lane. 
um, let's see, I started my very first IT job back in 2014 and I had no IT experience whatsoever. I was going for a degree, but I you know, hadn't stepped foot in a professional setting in, in, in any IT capacity. Right. And from there I was, I was literally doing, you know, grunt work, break, fix, moving dirty old printers, learning how to you know, properly set up you know, workstations for users and everything in between. Right. And then I want to say, yeah, it was about six months into that new role that the sysadmin who had been with the organization for about 10 years walks in on a Friday and hands in his two week notice. And it was a surprise because we didn't expect it. Right. So, um, he turned his two week notice and then he was gone two weeks after that. So I decided to learn everything I could and do my best to hopefully step into that role, uh, which happened. Right. So at the 10 month mark, I was promoted into his position and uh, maintaining all of the infrastructure for the organization, um, well, kind of small, but you know, I learned a lot and then I kept moving on, progressing throughout my career. I did finish my degree and a few years later, I went back to school to get a master's degree as well. And then I finished that in 2019 and I spent some more time as a systems admin and I moved into security. Very cool. And that's a, that's a great example of st stepping up some, you know, when the sysadmin gave his resignation that you tried to fill in and did that. So that's a, a good, good example for the listeners that, you know, when opportunities arise to take advantage of it, cause I don't know my opinion and in, in my experience, sometimes the best opportunities you can get are internal, uh, you know, movements within an organization. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, you're used to the organization. You have that familiarity with both the organization and the infrastructure, right? If you're in an IT capacity or even not, uh, you would have those uh, personal relationships that you can hopefully leverage with folks that are in IT if you're not. And that gives you, you know, some, some more visibility than an outside candidate would. Uh, so what did you, what did you get your degrees in? So my bachelor's degree, well, both my IT, uh, both of my degrees are in IT. The first and the first one was more uh, general, right? So it's just the bachelor's in computer studies revolving around you know, coursework and things like uh, that match up, right? To some certifications. So think of the CompTIA A plus core one and core two, um, Cisco networking, and then the general concepts of IT and then a lot of theory, right? But uh, it was a good mix of both. And then the graduate degree is a little more concentrated. So that one is in information systems with a concentration in security, right? Information security. So that one was much more theory-based, uh, heavy on you know, governance, risk, compliance. And then it did have its technical piece, but being at a graduate level, they want to prepare you for that next step, which is uh, leadership, right? And if you decide to continue a higher education in the doctorate field, it'll prepare you for that as well. Very cool. So how did you prepare for, you know, your career in offensive security? Uh, so I had one class in, in graduate school that helped revitalize or revive that, that curiosity in the offensive security space. Right. And that was a hacking class. It was an ethical hacking class. I, I, I loved it. It reminded me a lot of 
why I got into IT in the first place and the things that I used to do as a kid, right? Um, on the computer, messing things up, and, you know, hacking websites based off of Flash and things like that. So, uh, or, or games, right? Games based off Flash on online. And after that, I said, well, I'm going to really try to get into this space. Uh, but I knew very little about it, right? The degrees were concentrated on a broad uh, set of tools and information, careers, not necessarily hacking. So I decided to study for the OSCP. You know, earlier on, we, we got a group together, right? You interviewed us on homeschool. And that was sort of the beginning where I decided to take things really seriously and start studying for you know, at the time, the biggest and most well-known certification for hacking. And from there, I just, it was constant studying, nonstop. Very cool. So, uh, what, what certifications do you have? Oh boy. Um, so throughout the, throughout the years, right. I, I managed to get some, some CompTIA certifications. I have three from them, uh, cloud essentials, uh, the network plus and the security plus. And then I, I got some other ones. I have my AWS cloud practitioner and my solu solutions certified architect associate. It's a mouthful. Uh, and then I, I have some other higher, higher level ones, right? I do have the PNPT, as I mentioned from TCM security, uh, before joining the organization, I have my CISSP, my GSNA from, from GAC. Um, I, this. Well, it's like two weeks now, a week and a half or so, I finished up my QSA certification, uh, which was a, a bit of a lengthy process, but I'm, I'm glad to be through that. That's my most recent one. And a couple others sprinkled there. Very cool. So yeah, I guess you get to do a lot, get a lot of, to do some PCI pen testing there, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. coming up. Yeah, that's the okay. point of that. Okay. That's good to get. Yeah, because I know, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting how, uh, you know, the whole PCI pen testing has helped really create a bigger need or awareness in the industry for pen testing. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. It's a developing space. Um, and it's also a, a space that can earn you a lot of money, right? If you're a, if you're a business owner, or even if you have your own small org that concentrates on that. So not a lot of folks have those two, right? Um, the QSA requires some higher level certs either from you know, ISACA or, or you know, the CISFP from ISC squared. So, uh, it's not something that you can jump right into without having some prerequisites. Um, if you do have the prerequisites, yeah, it's probably worth it. If you don't, it's a long road, but also probably worth it. Yeah. Does, does that certification require that you get that through a, an employer or something, or is that something someone can get on their own that they're, they're wanting to be a QSA? So for an organization, from my understanding, uh, the organization, in order for it to uh, do, do, do those uh, assessments, right, those PCI DSS assessments, uh, they need to have a certain number of qualified individuals, and those qualified individuals will have their QSA. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's tied to an organization. I know the individual maintains their QSA certification, so if they leave, they'll still be a QSA but you can't just perform QSA assessments on your own unless you meet those qualifications. Yeah, very interesting. I'd kind of never pursued that myself, but I used to work with some QSAs when I was consulting. So it's pretty interesting. 
So as far as uh, someone wanting to get started in the industry, so you know you've you've had your path. Uh, maybe there's things you do different. What would you recommend for someone that wants to get into to pen testing? Oh boy! So there's a lot of different paths, especially now, um, and that's actually a really good thing, right? Because before it was kind of a one or two, maybe even path that you heard of constantly, but nowadays you have tons of resources that you can, you know, point to and things that you can do, right? So uh, at Wild West Hacking Fest, there was that talk from Joe that, you know, it mentioned different ways to make yourself stand out. And some people would write a blog, other people would, you know, beef up their GitHub, get degrees, get certifications. And the, you know, the landscape is changing, right? So nowadays, if I were to start over knowing what I do know, I would still do a lot of what I did, but I would focus more on building my skill set that is, you know, applicable to the day-to-day job and find a community, right? It's, it's very much who you know and what you know, right? You can know some great people and you sit down for an interview as a pen tester, but they'll suss you out really fast, right? If your technical skills are not up to par because most organizations want someone to come in and be able to produce, right? They want you to be able to pen test uh, in a short time frame, right? That could be 30 days, even 60 days, on the longer end, 90 and, and up. But most organizations are not willing to do that, right? Because it's costly and you know it costs to have the employee. And then if you don't produce, it's almost like a double cost, right? Um, but getting started, you know, I would still follow the, the path for folks who don't have an, an IT background and they're just getting into the field and they want to do that, it's really learning the fundamentals of IT, you know, computer basics, networking basics, and security basics, and then implementing skills, developing skills in a lab environment as best you can, if you don't have a job, right? If you're not in a professional environment and, you know, do whatever you can to make yourself stand out. If that's starting a YouTube channel, do that. If it's a blog, if it's certifications and a combination of those, do that, but find a community, find someone that you know that is willing to either vouch for your abilities or willing to put you in front of someone who is a decision maker, right? So if somebody's hiring like a manager or maybe an owner of an organization, then do that. Try to find those things that helps set you apart. Yes, that's great advice because I mean, nowadays, even if you have experience, it's hard sometimes to go the normal application process and even get interviewed. I mean, I have an example, uh, before I went to work for us bank, <clears throat> I'd applied at bank of America, had my OSC, OSCP SANS GWAPD, uh, had five years of dedicated, uh, consulting experience as a pen tester. And I didn't get called from us to, from bank of America until a year later, but I met someone at a local OWASP meeting that worked at us bank. They gave my resume to his, he gave it to his manager, the hiring manager. And I had a interview almost instantly. And I got the job compared to the other equal type of job, equal credentials. And I was able to get this other job for no, because I knew someone there. Yeah, that's, that's really, sometimes that's what it comes down to, right? You can have all the credentials and the experience. You can have a beautiful, visually appealing resume and GitHub and LinkedIn and, if nobody knows who you are, it's, you know, you're just kind of like uh, taking a shot in the dark. You don't know 
if they saw your resume, you don't know if they liked it or if there's an internal employee or not, right? You're, you're completely blind. But if you have somebody who's willing to even send you the employee referral link, right, to, to a, an interview for a position, you really greatly increase your chances. Um, I, was, I was reaching out to some folks and I got an interview with Microsoft that way, right? I reached out to somebody and he emailed the hiring manager, said, hey, Steve's a great guy and you know, consider him, here's his, his resume. And shortly after that, I sat down before the hiring manager, we got to chat. I wasn't a fit for the position, but you know, he was gracious enough to, to talk to me and uh, give me some pointers, right? And kind of give guidance versus just saying, hey, you know, it's not for you, uh, good luck, and then moving on. Yeah, another good point about getting those internal re references too, the referral codes or referral links to apply is, you know, a lot of people, if they kind of know you or whatever, they, you know, a lot of these people are going to get referral bonuses if you get hired. So there's kind of some incentive there to, to ask them if they would refer you. Oh yeah. That's big time. Sometimes the, uh, the harder it is to find folks that, you know, are, are qualified for a position or even sort of qualified, you know, it's a few thousand dollars for the employee. Right. So there's definitely an incentive to refer someone. Uh, my wife always says, Hey, we we have a security team, uh, that's starting up. I get a, you know, I get a $4,000 referral bonus. I said, well, I'm already working, but if I know somebody, uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. Cause that, that's one of the things with, with that too, you know, the referrals are a lot less expensive for the company than using a recruiter, you know, cause those recruiting fees can get pretty expensive. Yeah. That's a good point. So what, as far as, uh, getting started in the industry, what do you recommend as far as coding? Does someone need to know how to code if they want to be a pen tester? Um, not necessarily. Right. So, um, it's good to, I think it's beneficial to provide some clarity when it comes to, you know, the word coding and oftentimes folks tend to shy away from that because, you know, coding is difficult, right? If you are talking about coding in terms of being a software developer or a web developer, uh, those skills are, are not necessary, right? You can learn to read code. You can learn to understand what it's doing and, you know, comprehend how applications work or how websites work, but that doesn't mean that you know how to build those applications or build that website. It's good enough if you know how to you know understand and comprehend. The most beneficial, I would say, or I would dare say, is learning to script, right? There's multiple languages, and if you want to be successful and go beyond a certain skill level, it's scripting, right? Automation, um, you automate tasks in a pen test, or you're using certain tools that you might find on GitHub, but you need it to do something different, or you need to make some changes to fit your edge case. That will be way more beneficial for you as a pen tester versus knowing how to build a CRUD app or learning how to build a, you know, a, a website using some framework. Yeah, it's one of the things you hear a lot, you know, people are asking when they want to get a start in the industry, it's not always pen testing, but some other areas. And a lot of times people let that hold them up. You know, I've seen people that want to become pen testers and they're going to learn Python before they ever, you know, start learning to pen test. You know, that could, you know, just trying to learn that long could be maybe frustrating and kind of, uh, kind of stop you from reaching your goal because maybe you're 
this is too overwhelming at first or whatever. So yeah, it's always good to, to get people's opinions on that. Just another, another good example too, is Alyssa Knight doesn't know how to code and, you know, as good as a hacker as she is, I was really kind of surprised to hear that. But then there's other people that really rely heavily on scripting and writing different tools and stuff, but it's always good to, to get people's perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, so folks who write tools, um, you know, they're either they're really good or they kind of use other tools that were written to help either influence or be kind of the, the base of the tool that they write, uh, which is very common, right? Uh, why reinvent the wheel if there's something that's really good out there already? You know, there's a lot of Nmap um, spinoffs and things like that, but, you know, it's, it's, Nmap is there. It's a very good, well-maintained tool. And it does a lot, if not most of what you need it to do, including running scripts. And you can write your own scripts to help, right? You can put that alongside or in front of Nmap and use it to your advantage versus trying to create, you know, some port scanner or something all over again. Uh, use what's out there and you build skill that way. You can learn to write tools that use other resources or you can try to you know reinvent something or do or script something according to how you like it which also builds skill but again those tools are you know mostly scripting a lot of api requests um web requests using python and so on yeah it's pre pretty interesting how the tools have evolved i mean even when i got started you know metasploit was there burp suite was there so a lot of those tools that normally at one point in time someone would have had to have known how to code or script to write certain tools but at least now it makes it easier for people to get started without necessarily knowing how to write scripts right away yeah yeah i would say that's that's a fair assessment um you know you don't have to know right away really it's more about understanding a pen testing methodology and building upon that methodology and then once you reach that comfort level, you start to find things or niches that you really enjoy or that you might find really annoying and you want to make something to alleviate that annoyance. And so then you build something of your own and it helps you become a better pen tester. So with all the different areas of pen testing, what are your favorite types of pen tests? You know, I, I never thought I would say this, but... I really enjoy external pen tests, but more so external pen tests that have the social engineering piece to it, right? So not every external is the same. Uh, you might have folks who give you a, a large scope of hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of IPs. And you might have another client that gives you a very small scope, maybe you know 50 to 100 IPs but there's a social engineering aspect to it, right? Where you're allowed to fish their employees or you're allowed to make those vishing calls, right? And trying to get information out of them. Uh, I think those really get the heart pumping. At least for me, I know it does. It's a, you, know, you get on the phone with an employee and you have to try to find a way to sound genuine. You have to really sell to them that you are who you say you are. You come from where you say you come from and then try to get information out of them, right? And obviously the most, uh, I would say, valuable information is the employee's uh, username, email, 
could be the same, could be different, their password. And if they have multi-factor authentication, try to get that MFA code, right? Uh, that, that really gets my heart pumping and gets my wheels really spinning, thinking about how am I going to convince uh, someone on the phone that has never heard of me that I am, in fact, from their IT department or whatever it is, and, and convince them to give me their password and their MFA code, right? Uh, people are the biggest weakness, and oftentimes you find that when you're doing a new job like pen testing, you're, you're doing those pen testing activities, uh, you will like something that you didn't think you would, and you might dislike something that you thought was going to be great. It could be all of pen testing. It could be you know, a certain aspect of it. So I'm just curious in your experience. So from the social engineering, did, were you able to, have you been able to rely a lot on your IT background, a sysadmin background during those uh, attempts of, of social engineering people? Um, you know, it's, it does help, but I wouldn't say that, you know, you have to be a sysadmin for two, five years or anything like that. It, know the basics, right? But when you choose a target, you're choosing a target who might be most susceptible to providing you that information. And those people, they don't really know that much about IT systems, right? So you, you do the basics and you know the basics. That's usually good enough, right? If you tell somebody, if you're calling somebody, for example, and you, you tell them, hey, uh, you know, my name is Phil. I'm calling from the IT department. Uh, I'm with the security team. And we're upgrading your MFA. And I need to ensure that the upgrade goes through. And uh, to do that, I just need access to your account for five minutes. Uh, some folks are going to ask you, what are you talking about? What, what MFA what? And so you just... You know, you explain, oh, it's multi-factor authentication. Um, you know, you, you might get a, a, a message, right? A text message on your phone. Or if they have the app on their phone, you can tell them, oh, hey, you, you're going to get a, a push notification. Just hit accept for me. Or tell them, yeah, just open up the MFA app and then give me the numbers that appear on the screen. And this will be over in a few minutes, right? None of that really requires a sysadmin background. It's useful when you're doing the pen testing, or if you compromise that account and you you're able to log in, then sure you'll you'll need to know you know uh, Google Suite or Microsoft Azure or whatever it is, right? You'll need to know that. But for the social engineering piece, it's not that important. Very cool. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners that you think might be helpful, or just any kind of shout outs you want to give? Yeah, so I say when folks are, are first getting into the industry, my biggest recommendation is don't be afraid to explore as many different careers within IT as you like. There is no single path. There's no two or three paths. It's whatever works for you. So if you ultimately want to be a pen tester, then take whatever path that works, right? Find that community. Uh, but don't be afraid to explore, right? Because pen testing is niche and there are niches within pen testing, right? You might pen test hardware, whatever else, but all that experience is only going to help you. You might have experience as an analyst. You might have experience as a sysadmin. You might have none of those. You might only have experience in governance, risk, and compliance, but all of them will help you when you finally do become a pen tester because then you know what you like and you know what you don't like. So you're not left wondering, I wonder what it would be like to be you know, an analyst or uh, incident response or digital forensics. 
right? If you want to try that, try it, give it a shot. Even if it's not your title, do what a, di a digital forensics uh, analyst would do. Uh, do or participate in purple team or red team or blue team or yellow, whatever. Participate in that and see if you like it. Give yourself a shot because you might find that you ignored all of these things to get to be a pen tester and you finally do become one and then you don't like it. And then you say, well, now what? Right. I just spent the last two or three years trying to get to this point and it was all for naught. I had so many opportunities along the way that I let pass me by. That's my biggest piece of advice for folks getting into the industry or trying to get to their ultimate goal, whatever career that is. Uh, that's, some, that's some very good advice. So I think, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate you taking the time and it was great to see you recently and congrats again on your, on your success. I look forward to seeing, seeing your career, how it progresses. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It was good to see you too. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.